new on Curiosity Stream. This bear's walking right at me. We'll see if he wants trouble or not. Follow filmmaker Casey Anderson as he gets an unprecedented face-to-face -face look at Alaska's fiercest carnivores on the Tracker's Diary, Bears of Katmai. Plus, why is a tiny island in the Pacific one of America's most crucial outposts? Discover the truth behind this mysterious Trans-Pacific stopover on Extremities Wake Island. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. At One Day University, we feature hundreds of top-rated professors from Stanford, Harvard, Michigan, Texas, UCLA, and other schools across the world to explore history, music, politics, art, science, and much more. Every Wednesday, our weekly Scholar Newsletter includes five fascinating short video clips of our most notable professors discussing a brand new topic, plus special reports and topical debates as well. Sign up for free at OneDayU.com. That's O-N-E-D-A-Y-U.com. This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to Connect the Conspiracy with your host, Larry Elise. Join him as he dives into some of the biggest conspiracies in history and attempts to separate fact from fiction. Hello and welcome to the all-new Connect the Conspiracy podcast. Each week we dive into some of history's greatest conspiracies and separate fact from fiction. This week we're looking at the infamous Holy Lance, or better known as the Spear of Destiny. If you want to stay connected to us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter at ctcpodcast1, facebook.com slash connecttheconspiracy, and instagram.com slash connecttheconspiracy. Let us know your thoughts on this conspiracy and any information we might have missed that we should have included. My name is Larry Elise, and before we dive right into the Spirit Destiny, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Poddex, for sponsoring this episode. Poddex is the hottest new tool for podcasters looking to have more meaningful conversations or gamify their podcast. Simply shuffle up, ask a question, and let the content roll. Get yours today at poddex.com and use the code Larry21. For 10% off your order. Now let us dive right into today's episode. The Holy Lance, also known as the Spear of Destiny, or the Holy Spear, is the lance that pierced the side of Christ as he hung on the cross during his crucifixion. The lance is mentioned in the Gospel of John, but not the Synoptic Gospels. The Gospel states that the Romans planned to break Jesus' legs, a practice which was a method of hastening death during the crucifixion, because it was the eve of the Sabbath. Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. The followers of Jesus needed to entomb him because of Sabbath laws. Just before they did, they noticed that Jesus was already dead and there was no reason to break his legs. To make sure that he was dead, a Roman soldier stabbed him in the side. One of the soldiers pierced his side with a lance and immediately there came out blood and water. John 1934 
the phenomenon of blood and water was considered a miracle by Catholics while accepting the biological reality of blood and water as emanating from the pierced heart and body cavity of Christ. Also acknowledged allegorical interpretation. It represents one of the main key teachings and mysteries of the church and one of the main themes of the Gospel of Matthew, which is the interpretation adopted by the First Council of Nicaea that Jesus Christ was both a true God and true man. The blood symbolizes his humanity, the water his divinity. A ceremonial evocation of this is found in the Catholic Mass. The priest pours a small amount of water into the wine before the consecration, an act which acknowledges Christ's humanity and divinity and recalls the issue, issuance of blood and water from Christ's side on the cross. Apologize for saying this name wrong, but St. Faustina Kowalska, a Polish nun whose advocacy and writing has led to the establishment of the Divine Mercy Devotion also acknowledges the miraculous nature of the blood and water, explaining that the blood is a symbol of the Divine Mercy of Christ, while the water is a symbol of His Divine Compassion and of baptismal waters. In most variants of the Orthodox Divine Liturgy, the priest lances the host with a liturgical spear before it is divided in honor of the Trinity, the Virgin Mary, and various other remembrances. The deacon recites the relevant passage from the Gospel of John along with sections of the Acts of the Apostles dealing with commemoration of the saints. Most of these pieces set aside become the antidoran to be distributed after the liturgy, a relic of the ancient agape feast of apostolic times, considered to be blessed but not consecrated or sanctified in the Western understanding. The main piece becomes the lamb, the host that is consecrated on the altar and distributed to the faithful for Holy Communion. The name of the soldier who pierced Christ's side with a lance is not given in the Gospel of John, but in the oldest known references to the legend, the Gospel of Nicodemus appended to late manuscripts of the 4th century Acts of Pilate, the soldier is identified as a centurion and called Longinus. A form of the name occurs on a miniature in the Rebula Gospels, which was illuminated by one Rebulus in the year 586. In the miniature, the name Longinus is written in Greek characters above the head of the soldier who is thrusting his lance into Christ's side. This is one of the earliest records of the name, if the inscription is not a later edition. A relic described as the Holy Lance in Rome is preserved beneath the dome of St. Peter's Basilica. Although the Catholic Church makes no claims as to its authenticity, the first historical reference to a lance was made in A.D. 570 by an unknown pilgrim from Pisanisa. In his descriptions of the holy places of Jerusalem, writing that he saw in the Basilica of Mount Zion, quote, the crown of thorns which our Lord was crowned and the lance with which he was struck in the side. Although there is uncertainty about the exact site to which he refers, a lance is mentioned in the so-called Bravarius at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. The alleged presence in Jerusalem of the relic is attested by Cassidorus as well by Gregory of Tours, who had not actually been to Jerusalem. In 615, Jerusalem was captured by the Persian forces. And according to the Chronicon Paschal, the point of the lance, which had been broken off, was given in the same year to Nicetius, who took it to Constantinople and deposited it into the Church of Hagia Sophia and later to the Church of the Virgin of the Pharos. This point of the lance, which was now set in an icon, was acquired by the Latin Emperor Baldwin II of Constantinople, who sold it to Louis IX of France. The point of the lance was then enshrined with the crown of thorns, and the saint 
Chapelle in Paris. During the French Revolution, these relics were removed, but the point subsequently disappeared. As for the larger portion of the lance, Archipels claimed he saw it at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre around 670 in Jerusalem, but there is otherwise no mention of it after the sack in 615. Some claim that the larger relic had been conveyed to Constantinople in the 8th century, possibly at the same time as the crown of thorns. At any rate, its presence at Constantinople seems to be clearly attested by various pilgrims, particularly Russians, and though it was deposited in various churches in succession, it seems possible to trace it and distinguish it from the relic of the, the point. Sir John Mandeville declared in 1357 that he had seen the blade of the Holy Lance both at Paris and Constantinople, and that the latter was a march, much larger relic than the former. It is worth adding that Mandeville is not generally regarded as one of the Middle Ages' most reliable witnesses, and his supposed travels are usually treated as an eclectic amalgam of myths, legends, and other fictions. The lance which pierced our Lord's side was among the relics at Constantinople shown in the 1430s to Pedro Tafur, who added, God grant that in the overthrow of the Greeks they have not fallen into the hands of the enemies of the faith they will have been ill-treated and handled with little reverence. Whatever the Constantinople relic was, it did fall into the hands of the Turks. And in 1492, under circumstances minutely described in Pastor's History of the Popes, the Sultan Bayezid II sent it to Pope Innocent VIII to encourage the Pope to continue to keep his brother and rival Sam Sultan prisoner. At this time, great doubts to its authenticity were felt at Rome, as Johann Burkhard Records records because of the presence of other rival lances in Paris, Nuremberg, and Armenia. In the mid-18th century, Pope Benedict XIV states that he obtained from Paris an exact drawing of the point of the lance, and that in comparing it with the larger relic in St. Peter, Peter, was satisfied that the two had originally formed one blade. The relic has never since left Rome, and his resting place is at St. Peter's. And now join us as we travel down to Vienna. The Holy Lance in Vienna is displayed in the Imperial Treasury at the Hofburg Palace in Vienna, Austria. It is typically winged lance of the Carolingian dynasty. At different times it was said to be the lance of St. Maurice or that of Constantine the Great. In the 10th century, the Holy Roman Emperors came into possession of the lance, according to sources from the time of Otto I. In 1000, Otto III gave Bolslaw I of Poland a replica of the Holy Lance at the Congress of Grisino. In 1084, Henry IV had a silver band with the inscription Nail of Our Lord added to it. This was based on the belief that the nail embedded in the spear tip was one that had been used for the crucifixion of Jesus. It was only in the 13th century that the lance became identified with that of Longinus, which had been used to pierce Christ's side and had been drenched in water and the blood of Christ. In 1273, the Holy Lance was first used in a coronation ceremony. Around 1350, Charles IV had a golden sleeve put over the silver one, inscribed Lancia et Clavis Domini or a lance and nail of the Lord. In 1424, Sigismund had a collection of relics, including the lance, moved from his capital in Prague 
to his birthplace, Nuremberg, and decreed them to be kept there forever. When the French Revolutionary Army approached Nuremberg in the spring of 1796, the city councilors decided to move the artifacts to Vienna for safekeeping. The collection was entrusted to Baron von Hugel, who promised to return the objects once the threat was resolved. However, the Holy Roman Empire was disbanded in 1806, and in the confusion, he sold the collection to the Habsburgs. The city councilors asked for the return of the collection after the defeat of Napoleon's army at the Battle of Waterloo, but the Austrian authorities refused. In Mein Kampf, Hitler wrote that the imperial insignia were still preserved in Vienna and appeared to act as magical relics rather than the visible guarantee of an everlasting bond of union. When the Habs Habsburg state crumbled to pieces in 1918, the Austrian Germans indistinctively raised an outcry for union with their German fatherland. When Austria was annexed to Germany, the Nazis brought the Reichskandodien to Nuremberg, where they displayed them during the September 1938 Party Congress. They then transferred them to the Historischer Kunstbunker, a bunker that had been built into some of the medieval cellars of old houses underneath Nuremberg Castle to protect historic art from air raids. Most of the regalia were recovered by the Allies at the end of the war, but the Nazis had hidden the five most important pieces in hopes of using them as political symbols to help them rally for a return to power, possibly at the command of Nazi commander Heinrich Himmler. Walter Horn, a medieval studies scholar who had fled Nazi Germany and served in the Third Army under General Patton, became a special investigator in the monuments, fine arts, an archives program after the end of the war and was tasked with tracking the missing pieces down. After a series of interrogations, false rumors, Nuremberg City Councilor Stadrat Fries confessed that he, fellow councilman Schmeisner, and an SS official had hidden the Imperial Regalia on March 31, 1945, and he agreed to bring Horn's team to the site. On August 7th, Horn and a U.S. Army captain escorted Fries and Schmeisner to the entrance of the Pannierplatz bunker, where they located the treasures hidden behind a wall of masonry in a small room off of a subterranean corridor, roughly 80 feet below ground. The regalia were first brought back to Nuremberg Castle to be reunited with the rest of the collection, and then transferred with the entire collection to Austrian officials the following January. The museum dated the lance to the 8th century, after Robert Feather, an English metallurgist and technical engineering writer, tested the lance for a documentary in January 2003, he was given unprecedented permission not only to examine the lance in a lab environment, but to remove the delicate bands of gold and silver that hold it together. Based on x-ray diffraction, fluorescent tests, and other non-invasive procedures, he dated the main body of the sphere to the 7th century at the earliest. Feather stated in the same documentary that an iron pin, long claimed to be a nail from the crucifixion, hammered into the blade and set off by tiny brass crosses, is consistent in length and shape with a 1st century AD Roman nail. There was no residue of human blood on the lance. Not long afterwards, researchers at the Interdisciplinary Research Institute for Archaeology in Vienna used x-ray and other technology to examine a range of lances and determined that the Vienna lance dates from around the 8th to the beginning of the 9th century, with the nail apparently being the same metal, and ruled out a connection with the time of the 1st century. 
And now we go from Vienna to the capital of Armenia. The Holy Lance is conserved in the religious capital of Armenia. It was previously held in the monastery of Gegard. The first source that mentions it is a text, Holy Relics of Our Lord Jesus Christ, in a 13th century Armenian manuscript. According to this text, the spear which pierced Jesus was to have been brought to Armenia by the Apostle Thaddeus. The manuscript does not specify precisely where it was kept, but the Holy Lance gives a description that exactly matches the lance. The monastery gate, since the 13th century, precisely the name of Gegard de Vonk, or Monastery of the Holy Lance. In 1655, the French traveler Jean-Baptiste Tavernier was the first Westerner to see this relic in Armenia. In 1805, the Russians captured the monastery, and the relic was moved to Tbilisi, Georgia. It was later returned to Armenia, and is still on display at the Manuguian Museum. Now, pack your bags, and now we head to Antioch. During the June 1098 siege of Antioch, a monk named Peter Bartholomew reported that he had a vision in which St. Andrew told him that the Holy Lance was buried in the church of St. Peter in Antioch. After much digging in the cathedral, Bartholomew allegedly discovered a lance. Despite the doubts of many, including the papal legate Edomar of Lepoi, the discovery of the Holy Lance of Antioch inspired the starving crusaders to break the siege and secure the city. In the 18th century, Roman Cardinal Prospero Lambertini claimed the Antiochian lance was a fake. There have been other lances that have caught the attention of historians and treasure seekers. Another lance has been preserved at Krakow, Poland since at least the 13th century. The story told by William of Malmesbury of the giving of the Holy Lance to King Athelstan of England by Hugh Capet seems to be due to a misconception. In his opera, Parsifal, Richard Wagner identifies the Holy Spear with two items that appear in Wolfram von Exenbach's medieval poem, Parzival, a bleeding spear in the castle of the Grail, and the spear that was wounded, the Fisher King. The opera's plot concerns the consequences of the spear's loss by the Knights of the Grail and its recovery by Parsifal. Having decided that the blood on the spear was that of the wounded savior, Jesus is never named in the opera. Wagner has the blood manifest itself in the grail rather than on the spearhead. Let us know your thoughts on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. What you think about this topic? Do you think we'll ever discover the spear of destiny? Do you think it holds the magic pow magical powers that Hitler believed it did? Let us know. Send us a tweet for any comments you may have about this episode. And as always, if you want to support the show, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash ctcpodcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week for another episode of Connect the Conspiracy. You have been watching Connect the Conspiracy with your host, Larry Luis. Follow us on Twitter at CTC Podcast One and on Facebook.com slash Connect the Conspiracy. You can also find us on Instagram at Connect the Conspiracy. If 
you like, you can support the show by buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash ctcpodcast. Thank you for joining us. Don't let summer end without seeing the movie event of the year. Nice. Experience Top Gun Maverick on the biggest screen possible. Are you ready? Damn right. Tom Cruise, Top Gun Maverick, rated PG-13. Texting privacy policy and terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232.